for tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders. Please enjoy the message from the RT Pulpit. Uh, it is great to be here, and uh, our, uh, my heart response to your pastor and your pastor's wife is, is just warm, and I uh, feel like we connected over dinner, and actually you and I had lunch together uh, before that, and uh, I like his character. I like, his, I like, I love his love for the Lord. I, I appreciate that, but his character is sterling, and uh, his desire to do ministry with excellence and with and in integrity, you should, and and his love for you. You should hear how he talks about you behind your backs. He he really loves you and uh, really cares about you, and I believe that he's a man with a shepherd's heart. I think you know that. Uh, a little while later, we can't be here. I'll be out of state on November 9th, or I would be here for the uh, official consecration. But today, I want to officially present you with a, a shepherd's staff. For those of you who saw me walk in with that, I'm not weird. Okay, I don't, I don't walk around with that. Uh, honest, I don't. And uh, and so I uh, had a chance to meet a bunch of you and greet you at least in the in the Iowa. So it's good. It's good to be here. We're very very glad to be here. Uh, not mentioning anything, and happy birthday, Mom and Dad. Uh, and uh, I'm not saying how old my wife and I are, but you're the same age, and, which is young, very, very young, very young at heart. Yes, yes. Uh, let me let me take let me take a little bit of time to talk about about how Jesus rescued our lives uh, that your pastor uh, uh, mentioned. Uh, we, Karen, Karen had an experience with the Lord when she was nine years old, and she knew Jesus was real. And, and that experience impacted her enough that she knew that someday she wanted to serve the Lord. She just didn't want to do it now. But that someday down the road, and uh, yeah, I know no, nobody's ever had a notion of that or anything like that or ever met anybody like that, but she was that weird uh, back then. And, uh, and, but she never told me anything about that. Uh, I was unchurched, and I, by that I mean really unchurched, uh, de-churched, whatever you want to call it. I, I did, uh, when I say Jesus jumped me when I was 22, you'll get that in just a minute, what I mean by that. Uh, but uh, we counted back, and, and I think this is as accurate as I can make it. Uh, counting backward from age 22, I think I was in some kind of church maybe 20 times in my entire life, and that included, that included weddings and funerals. So when I say unchurched, I mean unchurched. New Testament, Old Testament, didn't know anything about that, didn't had never heard the gospel. Nobody had, had talked to me about having a personal relationship with Jesus ever. Uh, Jesus was a historical figure, and uh, that, was just, that was just about it, just like 
uh, George Washington was or some dead person. Uh, and, uh, and Karen and I met and uh, fell in love and we got engaged, except there was one thing wrong. Karen knew that eventually she wanted to serve the Lord with a husband that was serving the Lord. She had seen what that looked like when that didn't happen and in her own family and in other families, except she never talked to me about the Lord. So she had this secret she was harboring from me all those years. Uh, and I was a hippie. Uh, for those of you who are way too young to remember the late 60s or early 70s, uh, if you've seen pictures of people with tie-dye shirts on running around yelling power to the people, I was one of those. I was a real hippie. Um, my wife was not so much a real hippie. She voted for Nixon. No real hippie would vote for Nixon. Hers was more a fashion statement, you know. Her hair was cool, it would, it would go Poof. It was cool. Angela Davis had very little on Karen's hair. She irons it now, but it, you don't even know who, you young ones don't even know who Angela Davis was. Uh, but that was, that was a, a, a time of, of real radical politics. I did well in, in school, uh, got double promoted, which I, they don't do anymore just be, for known reasons, and uh, entered uh, the University of Michigan in chemical engineering uh, a year earlier than I should have or would have normally. Uh, joined a fraternity there, and uh, right next door to the fraternity was the Rainbow People's Party, Power to the People, radical Marxist ideology, and all of the uh, alcohol and drugs a person could want. Uh, were available, and it was a perfect storm for me, and I, I jumped in both worlds uh, with, with all my heart, simply because I didn't know anything better. It was just what people were doing, and, uh, and uh, got deeply involved in that. Karen, uh, I don't know if you've, I don't, has anybody ever here been a backslider? Raise your hand if you've had, it's okay, it's safe here, all right, okay, good. Well, you guys are really weird, okay? Uh, now, any, if you're a current backslider, don't raise your hand, all right? I should have said that. Uh, but, but Karen was that, and yet she... So, so we're driving down the road one day in my, of course, Volkswagen. It's what hippies drove. And a car came across the line and, uh, and almost hit us. And uh, I, I, I jumped the curb in my Volkswagen, and we bounced into a bank parking lot. And uh, we were with our two best friends, and our two best friends in the back seat said something like this, Dude, we almost died. There were a lot of brain cells that were missing back then. And I think I said something like, Shh, That was close, man. And Karen is in the front seat going, What is, what are you doing? And she looked at me, she goes, you wouldn't understand. And I said, I don't. And my friend said, what was that all about? And I said, I have no idea. I said, Karen, what, what, what is it? She goes, you don't understand. If we died, we'd go to hell. I said, what are you talking about? Hell is not part of my reality. You know, like you could wish it away. There's a lot of things that weren't part of my reality. There wasn't a lot of reality back then. Uh, and, and she, but she never told me. 
And I, I know now that the Holy Spirit was working on her. I remember a, a couple of parties at her house where in the midst of uh, Led Zeppelin or whoever was playing, uh, Karen went into her bedroom and brought out, of all things, a Bible, turned the music off and read to us, of all places, out of the book of Revelation, about Jesus and, you know, swords and eyes and fire, and, you know, out of his mouth, you know, sword out of his mouth and some tattoo on his, on his thigh and blood and horses. And, and she read that and said, someday this is going to happen and we're all on our way to hell. And, and my friends went, yeah, it's about time to go home. She killed parties. Well, the reason that happened was because the Holy Spirit was working on her. And so I would ask her, what, what was that all about? She said, never mind. She would not tell me. And uh, then we broke up. She broke up with me knowing that she couldn't marry me. Uh, and, and still really didn't give me the real reasons why. She gave her heart to the Lord, called me up on, and these dates are important, called me up on this date. It was Christmas Eve, 1971. And uh, I thought, oh good, she's getting back together with me. You know guys, our ego? You know, like, all right, she's, she's, she's coming back to me. She knows she needs me. Well, she didn't need me at all. What she shared with me was that Jesus was real to her life, and I couldn't understand it. It just did not make sense. I really know what it's like to be blind and deaf to the gospel. It didn't make sense. She was telling me Jesus died for me. My response to that was, how could he die for me before I was even born? And her response was, because he's God, and he, he did that. It's like, what? What do you mean he's God? None of that made sense to me. And so she tried to show me scriptures uh, and, and in her Bible, and I was so mad. And I don't even know, I didn't know at the time why I was so angry. I picked her Bible up and threw it across the room of her apartment and told her she was stupid. I cursed at her, told her I didn't want anything to do with that, and I left absolutely furious at her. And again, not knowing, not knowing why. So she invited me to some Jesus people meetings where people looked more like me and, and uh, you know, uh, to make a long story short, uh, I, I'm telling this for a couple reasons, because it was January 16th, just a matter of weeks later, that I became a follower of Jesus. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to share the gospel. The gospel works. Let the gospel do the heavy lifting. It's the gospel that saves. It, it wasn't because of her skillful debating. It wasn't because, because nothing, not, you know, that was not going to work with me. But I did have an encounter with the living God. And that's what changed my life. When I travel overseas and see the tremendous hunger for God and the tremendous results. I remember when we planted a church in Kenya, we, we went there, built a, a building uh, my son preached one day, I preached the next, he preached the next, I preached the next, we dedicated the building, they had already picked out a pastor before we got there, and 200 people got saved. We left a church of 200 people that was planted in one week. And, and, and they're doing that, by the way, when the Assemblies of God, they're doing that in Kenya 15 times a week, somewhere in the nation of Kenya. It's incredible. 
People say, well, why is the harvest overseas so great? I said, because people over there are sharing the gospel. And somehow I fear that the United States church is muted, has muted themselves. And they face real persecution over there. We just face what we face. Maybe somebody disrespecting us or whatever. Anyway, Karen invited me and invited me and invited me and none of it made sense. And so uh, she invited me to church to hear an evangelist. I didn't even know what an evangelist was, but I went for dinner first. That was good. Uh, feed me and I'll come. And uh, still like that, as a matter of fact. Uh, and uh, so, so I went there and, and we got there late and sat in the foyer. And the guy in the, the, guy in the auditorium, I would call it a sanctuary now, he was talking about the pleasures of this world and about television, uh, and he had this uh, thing going. And I, I mean, I have no, I've never heard anybody speak like that, so I want to go see, but I don't want to go see. And it was just an awful experience. And we were there two hours. Who goes to church for two hours? Well, maybe you today, depending on how fast I start to preach. Sorry, uh, it won't be that long. And uh, and so, so at the end. I, and I, listen, everybody, I needed a cigarette. I wanted out. And, and I knew things were ending, so Karen says, well, I'm going to go get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, and what is that? She said, well, uh, I'll be back. And I'll say, I said, no, you're coming with me now. And she looked at me and she said, Jeff, if you try to compete with God, you're going to lose. Oh, that made me so mad. Again, that made me so angry, and it was just frustrating because I didn't understand. So she goes into the auditorium, and, and I'm out there. And, and now you have to understand, this is 1972. This is January 15th, 1972. And all the men wore suits, and all the women wore dresses back then to church. And I had, I had my blue jeans on, my... Uh, my brown uh, vest with leather fringes. Thank you. Yeah, that fringy stuff. I was groovy. Um, I had this big blue hat. It was like this giant blue beret that you it was so big that you could tip it on its uh, side and it would touch your shoulder and still be on your head. And it and and then it helped with the hippie walk. You know that that hippies developed marching to their own inner music or whatever we were doing back then. And so I decided to go down. So I, I, walk, I walk in and see what's happening. I've never seen, listen, I've never been in a church that has, a, has what I now know would be called an altar area or anything like that. I've never seen people praying like that. But I'm not stupid. I figured they were praying. And I looked and there's a lady there standing next to Karen she has her hand on her shoulder and her other hand up like this and and I thought well I think I'll just join them because I want to get out of here so I walked down the aisle walked right over I became an altar worker before I was a Christian and I walked over and I put one hand on Karen's head I put my other hand up and I said God give her what she wants so we can leave uh, Karen's response to that was, you ruined my prayer time. She said it was like a bucket of cold water. And, and, I'm, and she couldn't believe I had done that. And I, I explained to her I needed a cigarette. 
come on. By this, by this time, it's two hours and 15 minutes. It's ridiculous that we're still there. Her sister runs up to me. She goes, oh, Jeff, you don't understand. She leaves me off to the side. You don't understand what's going on. And I said, I do understand. Karen wants something from God. He needs to give it to her so we can go. I need a cigarette. She says, you really don't understand, do you? She was really nice, and it made me more angry. I said, I just told you I understand everything. She wants something from God. He needs to give it to her. We need to get out of need a cigarette. She was very nice to me. On the way home, I think we had an argument. And she told me, you can't come tomorrow night. You can't come tomorrow. You embarrass me. And I was so unaware. It's like, how, how did I embarrass you? She goes, you did. You can't come. So... The next night, I showed up. It's what I did. And uh, showed up at her apartment. She goes, what are you doing here? I said, I'm coming with you. And she says, don't embarrass me. And I said, OK, I'll just sit there. And I, that was my intention. So we went down to Ford Auditorium. Same guy was speaking. He, he, the music starts. It was not cool music like this. It was music. It's like Southern gospel music. I didn't identify, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for some cream or Zeppelin or something, to, you know, something with a guitar, please. Uh, and nothing, and it's like, okay, and that goes on. And then he talks about Jesus and about all sorts of stuff. I have no, I, I, have, I don't relate. I don't relate to what's happening up there. I don't relate to the people around me. I don't relate to anything that's going on. And I, and finally he says, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, come forward. And Hundreds of people, hundreds of people filled up the front of it and filled it right up the uh, aisles. And, uh, you know, they had been telling me, give your life to Jesus. And, my, my, and I kept saying, give my life to Jesus. He's dead. And they'd say, no, he's alive. They said, what do you mean he's alive? How do you know that? Well, he lives in my heart. What do you mean he lives in your heart? Give your life to Jesus. Okay. Even if I could give my life to Jesus, what would he do with it? What would he want with it? None of it made sense to me. None of it. And so I'm sitting there, and then the speaker says, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, step out and come forward. And then Karen gets up, and I thought, oh, my goodness, here we go again. I need a cigarette. Same, you know, this is, I'm done with this. I'd made up my mind. I am done with this whole scene. This is it. And, uh, and nobody has said anything that made any sense to me. And then finally, the speaker says, if you need more power in your life, step out into the aisle and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I thought, finally, somebody said something. Power to the people. God was on the side of the revolution. And he could give political power. Finally, somebody made, said something that made sense. So I stood up. I walked out into the aisle. And, and my prayer went something like this. God, I don't like these people. I don't believe these people. But if you are as real as they say you are, I really want to know that. And, and, and I, gave, I gave Jesus a 15-second honest-to-God moment. And he took me up on it. The next thing that happened to me, this is where my, and I didn't tell this story very often because this is the part that it gets weird. Um, but our, our general superintendent asked, said, listen, share your story. So everybody, I, I am. 
the next thing that happened was, after I prayed that, was I felt like an invisible hand come around my body and uh, pick me up and bounce me up and down. And I wasn't flexing my knees. I wasn't flexing my, an- my ankles. I was just standing there. And this invisible hand that isn't there is just like bouncing me up and down like three or four times and then let go. And when that happened, I didn't have any strength to stand in my body. And I started to crumble and I started crumbling backwards. And as I'm crumbling backwards, I start to speak in tongues. And I don't know what that is. And I'm crying and I'm laughing and I'm starting to say words that I don't even know what, what, what that means. And, but I immediately knew three things. Number one, I knew, I knew Jesus was real, like really real, supernaturally real. I knew Jesus was real. I knew my sins were forgiven and I knew I was on my way to heaven. I knew those three things were true immediately. The fourth thing I thought was true wasn't true. I thought he was killing me. I did. I thought he was killing me, but it was okay. I felt strangely okay with that, although I didn't want to die because he was real. My sins were forgiven. I knew I was on my way to heaven. And, 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 and yet I thought he was killing me. So my first words in English were, Jesus, don't kill me tonight. Please let me live. Please let me live. So if that ever happens here, Pastor Devin, and there's some guy laid out there saying, Jesus, please let me live. Just say, no, God, get him. Kill all the carnality you can tonight. Just do it. Kill him good. Kill him pervasively. And I felt a call to ministry. I felt this, I had this voice, still small voice, deep, deeper than any place I had ever identified in my being that said, I want you to teach my people how to live the Christian life. And we got involved in ministry right away. Now I tell you that not because I think I have the best or or it's a dramatic story, but it's not the best story. I'll tell you the best story is that you gave your life to Jesus when you were five and served him all your life, like Pastor Devin, like Pastor, like Courtney, uh, some others of you that here. How many of you have that testimony? Okay, I'm, I'm jealous of you. I think that's the best testimony. Mine just happened to be dramatic, but I am telling you this, the Holy Spirit, Listen, regardless of how someone's reacting, you don't know what the Holy Spirit might be up to. It was just a matter of weeks before I began to follow Jesus from that first anger point. Let's get to the word. In your, uh, in your uh, bulletin, there's a, an outline, building a people. I'm going to talk about uh, uh, the book of Nehemiah and uh, what... What's happening uh, at, at chapter 4, verse 1, uh, if you have your Bibles or your electronic device that uh, you have your Bible on, please uh, turn to that. Uh, let me give you the context of this. The context of this is that the nation of Israel had been dispersed, and they were now back in the land, and the temple had been rebuilt. So worship had been established. But how many know that in 197, on January 16, 1972, in my life, worship was built into my life from that moment on. But I was still a mess. <laughs> I was forgiven. I was on my way for, to heaven. But my soul needed a great deal of work. My mind 
did not work correctly. My emotions were a mess. I had never finished anything in my life. I hadn't finished college. I hadn't finished relationships. Everything just kind of, I was, I, I don't even know why you dated me, sweetheart. I'm serious. That was amazing. What was wrong with you? A woman of vision, yes. <laughs> That's what it was. And, and so this story is about, this story is about, about, it's a building program, but it's also about building a people. This has to do with rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem that were torn down, burned down in rubble with resources that were there. And, and it's interesting that Nehemiah uses the rubble that was there and additional new resources from the king to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Because as good as it was that the temple had been rebuilt and worship had been established, the enemies of the people of Israel could just come in and run roughshod over them. And so when we talk about Holy Spirit resources coming into our lives that he has made available to us to build and rebuild and rebuild from the rubble, it's a good picture of what God does in rebuilding a single life or what he does in rebuilding a congregation of people. It's just not the story of the walls of Jerusalem. It's about, about what a group of, listen, it's about what a group of people can actually accomplish with a common vision. That really learn to work together, that really learn to cooperate, that really can, can do life together and do ministry together and accomplish what God wants accomplished in their corner of the vineyard. I'm glad to be with you in your corner of the vineyard. Now we know that the enemy of our souls is opposed to anything and everything that the Holy Spirit wants to build, rebuild, restore, uh, or recover in our lives. We know that. He's identified by a couple of names in scripture. One is Satan. It comes from the Greek word satanus. That means adversary. You don't have to be born again for any amount of time to know that you have an adversary. He's also identified by the name devil. That's diabolos in Greek. It means one who slanders or accusers. Accuses you of your past, which has been forgiven. Accuses you of your past to try to make you stuck there. To keep you ensnared by your past. God wants us to be delivered from that. That's why he tells us, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, God still has a work, has a work to do. In fact, I was hoping that uh, by my age, 44 years later, I was hoping that by my age, the Lord would be finished with me and that this discipleship, th this discipleship thing would be done with and I could just go on cruise control. Mm. How many know that never stops? There's st I still need to repent from stuff. It's awful. I thought I'd be done. I thought I'd be perfected. Surprise, should have realized that. The enemy is, is identified as a source of temptation in every evil thing. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he's also identified as an already defeated enemy through the, through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we can never forget that. And so this is what's happening. And Sanballat and Tobiah here in these three verses act as the mouthpieces of the voice of the enemy. And I want to read these and then go back and talk about what I think those things, what I think is behind those things. Let me, let me mention this before I, I, I go on. Uh, I grew up in the 1950s, and the big genre of uh, movies back then were westerns. Those of you who are my age, you know, John Wayne and all those things. I don't know if you've seen one of those old movies now. They're cheesy. I mean, the acting's bad. Some of the stuff is just like, there's this, one, there's this one movie where John Wayne and this woman are having an argument. She slaps him. He slaps her. Then they kiss. I mean, it's like, what? Somebody's going to jail. Somebody send them both to jail. You know, you can't be slapping people and then kissing that. Just send them to Anyway. Uh, and, and so in Westerns, this was, a, and if you come from a, an American Indian background, background the, uh, the people who, who uh, made those movies owe your ancestors and you a huge apology for the way you were depicted. But here's a typical thing. The blue coats are in a fort, okay? They've got guns. They're behind the walls. The Indians want to conquer the fort. So their strategy to do that is to yell, holler, scream, just to let everybody know they're coming, and to ride in a circle around the fort on the back of their horses, yelling, hollering, and screaming. Okay, so, and all they have is bows and arrows. So, so who's going to win that fight? Okay, you got guys behind, they come up, boom, shoot somebody, they die. They come up, they shoot somebody, they die. Who's going to win? And the, and, the, and the Indians are riding around on horses just kind of launching um, um, arrows willy-nilly. And so it's like, you know who's going to win until suddenly, without reason or understanding, there's a fire behind the, the uh, circling, encircling uh, Indian group. And one Indian takes a piece of cloth, wraps it around an arrowhead, and, you s and the camera, with all the noise going on behind, cuts to that, and, and you see that person put that, that uh, arrow with a cloth on the tip into it, into the fire, and catch it on fire. And then it, the camera follows that arrow as the Indian draws it back and shoots it, and it goes, and it goes up over the wall, into the fort, and lands in a hay wagon. And the hay wagon is always parked right next to the powder magazine where they keep all the ammunition. It sweeps through there, catches that building on fire. Bam, slam. There's all sorts of explosions. Cut. The next scene, the fort's burned down. There are blue coats over the uh, ramparts with arrows sticking through their back, and the Indians win. The fiery darts of the enemy are aimed at the hay wagons of your life. Those are the vulnerable areas that all of us have. And they're generational. Some of the things, some of the temptations that I, and vulnerable areas I had when in my 20s, 
were not there in my 30s, but I had new ones in my 30s that were not there in my 20s. They were there in my 40s and 50s and now again in my 60s. And so Sanballat and Tobiah are using these fiery darts to discourage, demoralize, and keep the people of God from completing the assignment that he has given them. The enemy will use wrong ideas, suggestions, wrong kinds of ideas, suggestions, accusations, assumptions, innuendos, questions, lies, truths, half-truths as those fiery darts. And they're aimed at our goals. They're aimed at our minds. They're aimed at our emotions. So let's say I'm insecure, all right? I'm not. In fact, I'm amazingly not insecure, if you knew where I came from. But let's say I am. And I finish uh, speaking today. I know Ken Keen. I've known him for 20 years, maybe. Uh, and, uh, you know, I finished speaking. And on the way out, Ken's a nice man. Uh, he would be uh, someone who would build me up and compliment me. And he comes up to me after service, and he says, hey, Jeff, you really tried to preach today. Now, okay, now, now you really tried hard. I, now, I know him, and I would say, because I know him well, I would say that was, I would take that as a compliment. But let's say I'm insecure. Okay, if I'm insecure, what do I hear? I hear something very different than what he said. And on the way home, I tell my wife, I said, you know that Ken, Ken, Ken Keen guy? She says, yeah, I said, he's not a nice man. I, I had him pegged wrong these 20 years. He's an awful man. And Karen would say, no, he's a nice guy. You've always thought highly of him. And I said, yeah. And I said, yeah, I did. I was wrong. She says, why? And I said, do you know what he said to me? She said, what? He said to me, that was a terrible message. Now, that's not what he said. That's what I heard. If I'm insecure. Because that's a hay wagon that the enemy used to fire a dart at. She says to me, honey, Ken wouldn't say that. I said, he did. He did. He really did. I connect with Pastor Devin and Courtney. Let's say we go out eat again sometime. And uh, that's an invitation. Uh, and, uh, and, and Pastor Devin says, so how was everything? I said, oh, your people were great except for Ken King. She says, he says, why? And I say, he hates me. He hates you. Ken Keen doesn't hate anybody. He hates me. He told me I was a jerk. Well, he didn't say that either, but it get worse. If I let, listen, if you let something like that burn in your hay wagon, it's going to get worse until it explodes in you. The longer you let that stuff burn, the more damage there'll be and the more recovery will be needed. Pastor Devin says, Jeff, you're wrong about Ken. No, I'm right about that. And so I now sowed seed into your pastor, and now he begins to look at you suspiciously. Wow, I always thought that, but I mean, if he, if he, told, if he told you you're a jerk, I, wow, superintendents don't lie, do they? <laughs> no, but they could be hurt and out of their pain, say a lot of bad stuff. And, 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 then, and then we go to a, a district, some other event, and I see you across the room, Brother Ken. And I see Devin talking to you, and now I don't like Devin. No, no, he's friends with you. He shouldn't remain friends with you after what you did to me. 
Come on, what are you doing? You're choosing him over me? Come on, brother, we're not going to eat together again. That's it. Kevin tells Courtney. Courtney says to my wife, boy, that, sorry about the hatred that's there, but, and Karen doesn't like Courtney anymore. Now, who wouldn't like Courtney? Now Karen doesn't like Courtney. And now they're both defending their men. Karen and Courtney don't like each other anymore, and, and they find friends who will agree with them. Out of what? Out of what? Out of my insecurity. Out of my insecurity. I'd like to tell you that the church never has faced an issue like that, but I would be telling a fib. And so we have to, what, what, that's why the Bible says, what do we do? We quench the fiery darts of the enemy with a shield of faith. We have to learn to do that. And can I love you? And even if you say that afterwards, I'll still love you. And I'm not insecure. So this is what happens. Now it comes about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and he said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. This is, a, this is the voice of the enemy to magnify their fears to play off their insecurities, to capitalize on their hurts in order to discourage, demoralize, steal hope, destroy faith, intimidate, sap confidence, blur vision, create disunity. And we see these specific tactics. I, I remember being here when this church was planted. I remember working uh, on the scaffolding uh, on this side of the stage, I remember both my sons being here and, and uh, involved in various activities, helping fix up the building. Pastor Devin's laughing because of one, but anyway. Uh, and so I, I remember when the church was planted here. Anything that gets planted is fragile in its beginning. And, and, and at different times, you know, it's interesting at different times when, when the attacks of the enemy become most prominent. It happens here in, when, when he comes to rebuild the walls. It happens at the very beginning. It happens specifically when the walls are halfway up. It happens again when the walls are completed and the gates are being installed. Okay, the gates in, in your own restoration that the Lord is working in you as an individual. There comes such a healthy point in time when, when now walls are not, walls rep here are physical walls, but we're talking about boundaries in our lives to spiritualize it and to apply it. When you, when you are able to, to have really good boundaries in your life, where, where you're mature enough to, that the gates of your life are in place, and you can look at stuff and you can say, you know what? This is really healthy. This is really good. This is really godly. I will open the gates of my life and receive that. Or, this isn't healthy. 
that's not healthy. That's not godly. That's not righteous. I'm going to keep the doors to my life closed to that. That's a place of maturity that God wants to bring all of us to and each of us to. But those attacks happen periodically through that point in time. It's true. You know, I think of the Red Sea. I think, wow, every, my wife has said it this way, everybody wants to see a miracle, but nobody wants to need a miracle. And, uh, you know, they need a miracle. They're hemmed in at the Red Sea. And, and you know, it's one of those things, Pastor Devin, I picture this. It's probably, you can fix this next week, okay? But I picture this. Moses comes to the Lord and says, God, what are you going to do? They want to kill me now. They want to do this. They want to do that. They want to know why I let them out here. It was you. Come on, what's going on? And he says, stand and see the salvation of your God. And, 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 I, and I get this idea that the leader's going, God, what are you doing to me? Oh, come on, God, come on, God, you got to come through me. Stand and see and tell the people to see the salvation of God. Stand and see the salvation of your God. Oh, God, well, God, are you going to do this? Are you really going to do this? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What? Part the sea? Part what? Does he, he doesn't even tell him I'm going to part the sea. He just says, go out there and lift up your staff. And the sea parts. Now, I, I can just imagine that. Moses goes through first, but I can imagine... Okay, so we have, we're in this thing, we're in this thing together, God's providing for us, but the Bible says there's walls of water on each side. And I can just imagine walking through going, wow, this thing could come crashing in on us at any minute. Wow, I know you're leading, God. I know you did this. I know you created this current circumstance that we're in, and we're walking through it together, but wow, God. This is really cool. And then they get on the other side and their enemies die and they go, yeah, we knew it. God had our back all the time. We had no doubt. I kind of think that when Peter gets out of the boat and he walks and he sinks and all the guys are going, yeah, I know. Yeah, we know Peter. And then he, he's back up on top of the waves and back in the boat. Then they're going, boy, Peter, we knew you could do it. We knew you'd be back. We didn't join you. We adopted a wait and see attitude. But we, we were for you, man. Go, go, walk on water. Just a thought. What are these feeble Jews doing? This is, this is what I think is behind that. Who do you think you are? What do you think you can really accomplish, especially as weak as you are? Who do you, th- I, I remember, I remember this. I remember in the Jesus meetings where I got my start in, in ministry, everybody had really easy last names that were pronounceable. Nobody can pronounce my last name. My family itself pronounces our last name differently. They do. They really do. Some drop the H, make it silent. You know, others put three syllables. Others put two. I mean, it's... And I remember thinking this. I had this fiery dart. God will, can never use you because no one can pronounce your last name. I had that thought. I had that thought for like a full six months. And it's like, yeah, I need a name like that. I need a name like that. Why couldn't I have been a Smith? Why couldn't I have been Goff? It rhymes with cough. Once you hear that, you get it. My, my name doesn't even rhyme with anything. And, and I had that thought. And, and that, that, that fiery dart stuck, stuck, took, you know, took in my, uh, stuck in my mind and my emotions for about, maybe it was six months. I never told anybody about it. But then I realized how 
how, what an attack that was. And it rinsed. I, I asked the Holy Spirit to rinse that from me because it was just debilitating. Are they going to restore it for themselves? Your heart isn't right in this. Your motives are impure. You're in it for your own selfish motives, self-interest to make a name for yourselves. I can't, I can't really be involved in, in ministry. I, I don't know how to minister the life of Jesus like Pastor Devin does or, uh, you know, the worship team. I can't be involved. I, I, listen, everybody has something to do in the body of Christ. Everybody. Everybody has something to do. There's a purpose to your life. It's, you know, if God's, listen, if, God's, if God's goal was just to get us to heaven, he'd have us be born again, then he would kill us. It's like, oh, mission accomplished. They got saved. They're on their way to heaven. Listen, heaven is our destination. We're going there. Awesome. But why has he left us alive? To do stuff for his kingdom. He's going to use you. He's going to use me to do whatever he's called us to do in his kingdom. Why offer sacrifices? You're not spiritual enough to serve God, to be used by God, accomplish God's will. You're too unworthy to offer acceptable sacrifice. Too lacking to be. Now, I know, I remember, I remember hearing my pastor pray and, and listening to him pray. He could pray he could pray, this is when we were first saved, he could pray for like five minutes. I could pray for 30 seconds, and then I didn't know what to say. And, and I would listen to him, and he would pray in King James English with these and thous and thuses. It was awesome. And I thought, I want to be like that someday, but it, it wasn't working for me. I thought, I, I disqualified myself. It was another fiery dart. It was another hay wagon. It's like, and, and I would continually do that because I didn't know how to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. And then I remember one day I decided I was really going to pray like him. And, and I would use a biblical word, rebuke. And uh, we were praying, my friend and I, and we were, I don't know, we were rebuking everything. I don't, it, was, it, was the, it was the Christian fad of the day. We rebuked this, we rebuked that, we bound this, we bound this, and there's a place for that. But we were just, we were more parroting what we had heard than praying out of our hearts. And uh, my friend, <laughs> we're laying hands on some guy, and he says, I re we were winding up our prayer. He says, I rebuke you, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And we looked at each other and went, I don't know. Will God kill you for that? I don't know. He wasn't so sure either. He repented immediately and promised never to pray out loud again. No, he didn't do that. Will they finish in a day? Who are you to expect some sort of miracle? Can they bring back these stones to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? There's no way you can affect true change. Too much damage has been done. You don't have enough of whatever. And this is my idea, and Pastor Devin, I'll demonstrate this. I'm, I don't think it happened this way at all, but this is the way I think it could have happened. Sandballot is going, bah, 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 and Tobiah. I, I get this idea that Tobiah is a short, weasley, oily guy. I don't know why he has to be oily, but, but he is, in my mind. And Sandballot's out there going, and he finishes. 
And then Tobiah's standing behind him the whole time. And then Tobiah runs out and goes, yeah! And then a fox jumps on your wall. It'll break it down. <laughs> and runs back there. Okay. Okay, so it, it didn't happen that way. And for some of you, that's the only thing you're going to remember from this message. Say, Pastor Devin, whatever you do, don't, don't invite him back. Tell Ken Keene to insult him. <laughs> Nehemiah responds to this adversity in the following ways, and I don't have time to go through all of that. In fact, that, you need to know this about me. I never finish a message. I just end. That's mercy. That's why the outline's there. I... When I, I pastored the same church for 25 years, and at the end of the message or wherever I stopped, I always would say, now I commend the rest of it to your reading and further study. So I'm going to commend the rest of this to your reading and your further study. With this, these last few comments. One, Nehemiah prays while he's under attack, and he calls everyone else to involvement. Cause everybody to involvement. Increased alertness. He, it's, what a, it's what a pastor does. It's what a leader does. It's a pastor knows his flock. And, and a pastor says, listen, we need to be doing this next because this is a need. Or we need to now be outreaching in this area now. Or, or this is a need. we got to paint the place. These are things that we need to get done. And, and, and it's a pastor who understands that, and, and, and they'll, a pastor understands the, the, not just all of that stuff, but also uh, understands the needs of something. Hey, we need prayer for this. We need prayer for this. We need prayer teams for this. We need to, we need to prepare. Nehemiah is the one that does that. And there's never just one thing in a church, is there? You know, it, I used to think that when I was really young, you know, if only I was a great preacher then, or if only we had great music then, if only we did this, and if only we did this, and, you know, it's, it's a multi, multi, always a multi thing and approach. Pastor, have you told the story of Michael Jordan and Stacey King? Okay. Uh, Michael Jordan, how many would agree, best basketball player ever? Better than me. Seriously. Uh, greatest basketball player. Uh, one night, he scored 69 points for the Chicago Bulls. And that was a year that Stacy King, who was the go-to guy when he was in college, the prolific scorer, came into the league, and he was a rookie, and he played with Michael Jordan. And that particular night, he scored one point. He got followed, fouled and missed the first free throw, okay? So, you know, they're after, they're after Michael. And it's, it's the, I think it's the game. There's some old uh, footage where Michael Jordan's like, hits, he's three, four feet away from the uh, three-point line, and it goes in, and he's running up the court going. Just, if you ever see that, I think that's the game. After the, uh, after the game, they say, hey, Michael, great game, crowd of reporters. And one reporter goes over to Stacy King. And he says, hey, Stacy, I mean, Stacy, you, you were the guy in college. And now 
you're playing with Michael Jordan, and he scored 69 points, and you scored one point. One point. What do you think about that? Stacy King's reaction and answer is awesome. He says, you're right. I will always remember tonight as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. Listen, nothing of value, of lasting value, happens without everybody contributing what they can contribute. There are some things that will never get done. They'll never get accomplished unless the people of God get together and do it themselves. I'll tell one grandchild story, and then I'll be done. My, uh, I love Dr. Seuss. And uh, uh, read Dr. Seuss books when I was a kid. I read them to our kids, and now we have we have seven grandchildren, and I read Dr. Seuss books to them. I don't really like the movie adaptations of the book, except one, Horton Hears a Who. I like that one. I think the rest, eh, not so good. And uh, and I and so I when they made the movie uh, of Horton Hears a Who, I had already read that to our oldest grandchild who was four at the time. And uh, I said, hey, listen, mom and dad, do you want to take Kayla to see Horton Hears a Who, or will you let Grammy and Papa do that and bless us? And uh, they said, no, go ahead. So we, we took her there. Now, if you don't know about Dr. Seuss uh, and you don't know Horton, Horton is an elephant. There are two books uh, that I'm aware of. Uh, one is Horton Hatches an Egg. And uh, it's about Horton, uh, the, the mother bird flies the coop. Uh, she leaves and says, Horton, I'm going to go away and party. She doesn't say that in the book. I'd say, I made that up. Uh, it's a background thing. Uh, and, uh, and she says, will you take care of my eggs before I, I get back? And will you hatch them? And Horton says, I will. Now, the, the entire book has to do with being responsible. And Horton takes that responsibility seriously, and he eventually hatches the egg. But before he does, people make fun of him. They say, Horton, what are you doing? You're an elephant. You're on a bird's nest. That's ridiculous. Stop that. Horton. And, and here's what Horton said. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant, and elephants faithful 100%. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant, and elephants faithful 100%. And, they say, and, and there's a picture of him in the wintertime with icicles on his ears. People making fun of him. He says, listen, I meant what I said. I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. And he hatches the eggs. It's a cool ending. Well, then we have Horton Hears a Who. And that's about Horton. This time Horton is uh, in the pool of Newell, I think. In the cool of the pool. I think that's the way it reads. Something like that. And he, listen... He starts listening to very small creatures that no one else is listening to, that everyone else is overlooking. And they're little tiny creatures called who's. And, eat in the who, and each who lives in Whoville. And he starts to hear them, and, and he gets involved with them. And there's this place, and, and, and people, again, his friends say, what are you doing? Why are you even interested in the who's? 
And his response is this, because after all, a person's a person no matter how small. And he repeats that several times in the book. Because after all, a person's a person no matter how small. You could be a little old hippie running around the streets of Detroit in 1972, and nobody might be interested in you but Jesus. In the climactic moments of that, of that movie, Vlad, the bad vulture, has taken all of Whoville. He's flying off. We're in the movie, and when we got to the movie, we were there the third week, and we walked into the movie, and, and Kayla says to me, Papa, there's nobody here but us. Like I had arranged that. Never told her different. I'm her, I'm her superhero. I'm her super papa. It's okay, grandparents, to do that. I said, yes. Yes, no one's here but us. Where would you like to sit, my princess? And so we sit there, and we're watching the movie. And in this climactic moment, as, again, remember, Horton's an elephant. Vlad's flying away, and Horton's chasing Vlad the bad vulture. And he's slipping on gravel. He's tripping over boulders. He's running into trees. And, I'm, and we hear this little voice between us. Go, Horton, go. Keep going, Horton. You can do it, Horton. Don't give up. I look around. Nobody's still there except the three of us, so Papa's in. Go, Horton. You can do it, man. Keep on going. Grammy, the three of us are cheering Horton on. Come on, Horton. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. We're cheering him on. By the way, he wins the day. I think it was because of our cheering. No, it was in the movie. I... I feel like I'm here to say to Revival Tabernacle, keep going. When you face the obstacles or slippery footing, keep going. When you're facing things that you'd rather not face, keep going. It'll be worth it. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Because of Jesus and his mission and his cause. Our community at Revival Tabernacle aims to reach our city and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus. Thank you for your support. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at www.revivaltab.org.